Busy lately? Perhaps too busy. Dr. Hunter's subject today will deal with what can happen when we're too busy. From the New American Standard, he selected Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 as the scripture text. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now let's join Dr. Hunter for his sermon, Losing Balance in Busyness. If you have your scriptures with you, please turn to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to continue with my series on work and also with the Palm Sunday celebration. The two mix very well together. These two messages today mix very well together because Palm Sunday was indeed the time when all of the resources of the earth very apparently pointed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we sang, Holy, 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 all the earth shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea, that was the action of Palm Sunday. As Jesus rode that colt that day that had never before been ridden upon, the animal kingdom symbolically undergirded his lordship. As the palm branches were laid before the feet of that colt, the plant kingdom symbolically exalted his lordship. As the clothes were laid before the parade, all of our possessions symbolically were at his feet. And Jesus said, even if none had acknowledged me, the stones would cry out. The mineral kingdom were at his feet. All pointed toward Christ. Let me ask you this morning. Does all of your work, all of the arrangement of the details of your life, because that's what your work is, all of the arrangement of the details of your life point toward Christ? Let me read to you this passage that is very familiar to some of you. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. 
For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I want to talk about being distracted this morning. You know, there's a difference between work and toil. There's a huge chasm between the second chapter of Genesis and the third chapter of Genesis. Work, the blessing, was given in the Garden of Eden. God put man there to till it and to keep it, the Bible says. But by the time you get to the third chapter, because of the action and the sin of man, listen to what has happened to work. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, I want you to see the direction of the transformation of work. From work to toil. Look at the direction. Look at the focus and how it's changed. The Lord said, Cursed is the ground ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field and the sweat of your face by the sweat of your face. And you shall eat bread until you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. If you were to put the difference between work and toil, if you were to name the chasm between the second chapter and the third chapter of Genesis, you could do it with one word. And that word is focus. Mary, or Martha, the Bible says, was distracted. The Greek word means, it's a passive verb, and the Greek word means to be drawn away from. Not intentionally, but just to be drawn away from. Distracted. Let me ask you this morning. What do you think of work? You know, for a long time, people have been trying to get out of work by eliminating either the work or the necessity for work. That's how they treat work. Because work has become toil to them. It wasn't as it originally was. There's two schools of thought. One school of thought says, you know, if we can just simplify our needs enough, we won't need to work as much. We won't need to put forth the effort. These are the schools classically, Rousseau. Jean-Jacques Rousseau pointed back to a time of the golden age, simple times when our needs were simple and, and there really wasn't much effort needed to live. Henry David Thoreau was another one who pointed to those idyllic times. You know, you know the people that I talk to occasionally that have this philosophy? Homeless people. You know, they, they're not all that sad. You know, I talk to these guys and they say, man, I live off the land. And they like it. They kind of, yeah, I camp out in the woods over here. But I don't need, I don't need those cars and those houses and I can, I can pretty much live. They like it. That's the simplifying people. There, there isn't too much responsibility, too much toil, too much effort needed there. Then there's the people who would like to invent a style of life via mechanisms that would take the responsibility or the load of work off of us. I read a scientist the other day that predicted that someday, quote, every instrument will obey humans 
and or anticipate human commands to the extent that people will not have to put forth the effort. Anybody like to guess the name of that scientist? You all know it. The name of the scientist was Aristotle, circa 350 B.C. From times past, 2,300 years ago, there were people dreaming that someday we're going to get mechanized enough that we won't have to work anymore. Let me tell you something. If it hadn't happened up to now, chances are slim that you will ever live a life where you won't have to put forth effort. Well, then how are we ever going to get rid of this toil thing? I'll tell you how Christians do it. They transform it back into work. They transform it into work by transforming the focus of work from the ground to the Lord. We cannot operate anymore with the ideal that if we just did enough work, we could get to the time when we wouldn't have to work anymore. That's what toil says. If we can just do enough, if we can just accumulate enough. You know, in Scripture, God never said that the ideal is no effort. Even when the Lord said, look, you're worried about so many things. You're worried about how you're going to make your living and all that kind of stuff. He went out and showed him birds. You've never seen a bird sitting on a, sitting on a telephone wire going like this. Just waiting for his lunch. Have you? Birds are continually busy. They're continually putting forth effort. They're looking for, they're building a nest or they're looking for worms. They're always busy. But they don't worry about it. See? Not distracted. Not worried. Not anxious. The Bible says, Colossians 3.23, all that you do, do heartily, as to the Lord, not to men. In other words, don't ever think that you can keep your focus on the things of this world and accumulate enough to where you can finally relax at the end of it all. You know, these two sisters were not the first siblings that came to the Lord and asked for a resolution to the problem. There were others who did that. A couple of brothers came up to him one day. You can find this in Luke chapter 12. Verses 13 through 21. A couple of brothers came up to him one day said, and the young one said, Lord, make my brother settle the inheritance with me. Now, Christ did a couple of things that day that I want you to learn. Number one, he did not answer the problem that was brought to him. Please understand, you don't have to answer every problem that's brought to you. You know what? Parents... You don't have to answer every problem your kids bring to you. If you don't have the answer, you need to say, I haven't got the answer. It's not that he, now, it's not that Jesus didn't have the answer. He just realized that not every need is a call. It may be a legitimate problem. You may not be the person to answer it, though. But, Jesus said, I tell you what, instead of solving your problem, he said, what have I to do with that? You know, count me out of that. But I tell you what, I've got something even more appropriate than the answer you want. Let me tell you a story. And he tells them this parable about this guy who accumulates all this wealth. He says, now be careful. Be careful thinking that the solution to your problem is in the accumulation of your wealth. Because that's what they were after, see? He says, there was this guy who had so much wealth 
that it overran the facilities he had for it. And so his solution was, I tell you what, I'll just build bigger barns. And one of these days I'll have barns so big it can hold all my grain. And then I'll sit back and say to you, say to my soul, soul, he even talking to himself, soul, take your rest, eat, drink, and be merry. That's where that phrase comes from. By the way, let me insert here one of the things I appreciate about what the elders are doing in taking just a small step of expanding the sanctuary and building the youth building instead of building what ultimately we may need is the fact that they are guarding very closely the focus of our church. And they never want to run ahead of the Lord and get into the facility attention instead of the people attention. They want to make sure that all the way along we are not putting ourselves into obligation. But we are keeping our focus on the who. Listen to the end of that story. The end of the story is that the Lord comes to this guy and he says, You fool. Time's up. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Now listen to what he said. The end of the story says, Who will now have what you accumulated? Do you see the point of that? It isn't what can you accumulate. It isn't for what can you accumulate it. The point is right back to the who were you working for. You lost track. You thought, you were working for what? You were working for who? The Bible says that we shouldn't, we shouldn't confuse the accumulation of goods with the increase in the quality of life. And we have that tendency, oh, if I can only do more. See, that's the, ten that's the tendency on the production. If I could only do more. This is what Martha was thinking that day. I've got so much to do. If I could only get it all done, then I could go listen to Jesus. If I could only do more. If I only had help. And I told you last week what that mentality gets you. It gets you mad. Gets you mad at everybody else. Gets you mad at God. Do you hear how she accused him? Don't you care? She wasn't just mad at her sister. She was mad at Jesus. Don't you care? So here she is with an attitude. But she's got an attitude because she has connected the satisfaction of work with the increase in the amount. Remember when Jesus came to um, the disciple, Peter. Came to the disciple and said, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Christ said, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part of me. And what Peter say? Well, okay, wash my feet and my hands and my head and the whole thing. Jesus said, you missed the point. Now, this is the mentality of people. Okay, if you're going to do, do the whole thing. Let's do the whole body. Jesus said, no. Look, you're taking a bath. You don't need to hold I'm just doing the part that needs to get done. I, won't, I don't want you to miss the point. And that's how people are. Well, if I've got to work, I've got to do the whole thing. No, you don't. Just the part that's appropriate, that needs to get done, so that you can keep your focus where it needs to be. 
We get so busy because we think we've got to do so much. And we lose the focus that we had. The Greek word for so many things is one that means to be divided. Martha, Martha, you are worried, anxious. It means to be divided. Marizzo is the, thing, is the word. It, it means to be uh, separated, going a lot of different directions at once. Is that the story of your life? <clears throat> you know what can happen when you're going too many directions at once? You lose the most important thing in your life. Matthew 13 says, There was once a wonderful thing growing in a person's heart, likened it to a seed. And then the Bible goes on to say, And there were so many cares, so many things that divided that person's life, that it choked out that seed. There were too many directions at once. I love, in 1 Kings, there's a, there's a parable that I love. Let me just read 1 Kings 20, 39. Let me just read just a couple of lines. The king passed by, he cried to the king, and he said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. That was his only job. Guard this man. He had a prized possession. Guard this man. Simple instructions, along with a warning. Guard this man if for any reason he is missing. Then your life shall be for his life. Or you're going to have to pay some money. Now listen to what happened. And while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And while your servant got busy here and there, Marizzo, He was gone. You can get busy with all kinds of things in your life. And the most important focus can be gone. There are people who say, you know, I used to have a real close walk with Christ. And I've been a Christian for a dozen years. And I've been working hard for the Lord. But I don't feel as close to Him anymore. What happened? Your work got transformed into toil. Your focus got on the deeds instead of the audience. We can get busy and crash. You know that the wire, the wireless operator on the Titanic, Titanic, on its maiden voyage, received six messages, warnings from shore to watch out four icebergs on the sixth telegraph the sixth wireless operation he wired back a four word response shut up I'm busy and 35 minutes later the ship whose captain had declared God himself couldn't sink this ship, went to the bottom of the sea. You know what? Isn't there 
in all of our busyness, a little voice that's just saying, Martha, Martha, come here. Little voice that says, you know, Jesus used to be here. I wonder where he is. And there's a little voice that calls us and we say in essence, well, as soon as I get this done, Sunday I'll see you. Sunday I'll be there. I'll listen Sunday. And the rest of our week is shut up, I'm busy. I wonder if Jesus didn't look at Martha that day and remember the first time he was tempted to concentrate on food but resisted the temptation. Remember? In the wilderness, in his temptation, he had finished a fast of 40 days and Satan came along and said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Do you remember his response? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I wonder, while Martha was running all around that day, if he didn't just feel like standing up and saying, Martha, I've been through this myself. Food is not the issue. Come over here and listen to the words that proceed from the mouth of God. I wonder if he didn't consider the perfect meal, the meal we just took. Not because of the fullness and variety of its elements, but because of the audience to which it points. That's the perfect meal. And the perfect work is the one that points toward God and understands that it is God's fellowship that really counts, not our busyness, not how much we get done, You know, I've got a middle son that loves to read. He loves to read all kinds of stuff. And every once in a while, he'll read one of these Stephen King books. You ever see read a Stephen King book? I know know it's sinful, awful, but it's just literature. He's a a literature critic. Stephen King, Pet Cemetery. I mean, scary stuff. Horror stories, see? Horror stories. Well, I'm thinking, you know, probably kids these days think that Stephen King was probably the first guy to write a horror story. But before Stephen King, there was Edgar Allan Poe and Franz Kafka. Have anybody, can anybody remember reading The Metamorphosis? Remember the protagonist, Gregor Samsa, in the opening line of the book, wakes up and looks down at his body and he's literally been transformed into a cockroach. He's wondering how this happened. And the rest of the story, he tries to think how it was that he became less than human. And he examines three areas of his life, the first of which is work. And he remembers how work became monotonous and routine And every day, he just wanted to get it done. And he literally chose the path, not of a person who could see the point, but of an insect 
who did the job. Now that's a horror story, isn't it? Christians, watch out. You know, one of the saddest things in all of the Bible is a person who has the presence of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, and will not access that presence because they're too busy. They have no idea who they're talking. They've lost the point. The saddest thing isn't a pagan who doesn't know when they're addressing God. That's a wonderful potential. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus asks her for a drink. She goes into this ethnic deal. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And Jesus looks at her and says, If you only knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me for living water. There's great potential and anticipation there. But let me tell you a sad passage. And it's a passage that many of us celebrate with great victory. I mean, we read it all the time. It's in Matthew 25. Let me just read the first part of that passage. It starts out great because he's talking to the righteous and he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. 34, verse 34. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the foundation of the world. And then he says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty and you gave me to drink, and I was a stranger and you invited me in, and so on and so forth. And look at the saddest, one of the saddest verses. Verse 37. And then the righteous will answer him and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? All this time, they've had access to Christ. All this time, they've been lonely. All this time, they've needed direction. All this time, they've needed strength. They had no idea that he was right there. The message to Martha is Martha, God's in the room. It's not far. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And the point is that you do what you do for Him while you're doing what you do. In John chapter 12, it says this, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, And where I am, there shall my servant also be. The point is not efficiency, it's fellowship. That's the point of work. It says in Matthew 28, let me turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Great commission. The Great Commission. We argue about the first part of this verse all the time. I mean, churches find find stuff in here to fight about. Listen to this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? Some churches don't even make disciples. We're going to make disciples. What's the right curriculum to make a disciple? 
What's the right way? How do we know they're growing? Oh, great discussions. Great discussions. we got lists of how disciples are made. In all the nations, baptizing them. Whoa, whoa, watch out. Baptizing. Now, there's an issue for you. Who can get baptized? How much water? When do you do it? In the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, all that he commanded us. I saw Sister Jones the other day, and she wasn't doing all that he commanded her. <laughs> I believe I ought to have a talk with her. Why don't we ever go over the last part of the verse? And lo, I'll be with you always even to the end of the age. That's the point. Toil becomes work when it's united with worship. God becomes the point of what we do. Not just a little voice I read a thing in a newsletter the other day said, be careful to observe the little things in life because someday you're going to turn around and realize they were the big things. The little voice that says, I'm here. You want counsel? Come to me. You want strength? Come to me. You want love? Come to me. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Let me tell you one story, and then Lloyd will sing, and then Dick will close. I remember hearing a labor nurse say something that I've never forgotten. In the height of labor, this woman was coming apart. (laughs) Bad pun. And this old... Probably an old army nurse who'd been through this a thousand times before. Looked down and said, Honey, tell you what I want you to do. She said, I want you to focus on something in the room. And I want you to keep your eyes on that thing. And I want you to concentrate on that thing. And the rougher it gets, And the more work it seems to be, the more I want you to concentrate on that thing. And by and by, we'll have a new life. Concentrate on Christ. And by and by, you'll have a new life. Pray with me. Emmanuel, God with us, how often we have forgotten. How many times we have called out your name and you were right there. How many times we have felt forsaken when you were in the same room. How many times we've been angry with you because of the effort we were putting out on tasks instead of listening. 
forgive us. And help us to sit at your feet. Help us to listen to your voice while we are working, not after we work. So that we can have the best of both. So that we can continue to till and keep this garden. But do it in fellowship with you. We pray in Jesus' name.